The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a traditional Catholic priest. He's also a member of the Society of St. Pius V and the uh, pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, John. Thank you. And yourself? Doing well. Thanks Good. for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. Yep. Father, uh, I guess we have to start tonight with uh, something that's been in the news uh, for this entire uh, past several days now, uh, we've we've had a lot of people asking about this. Where um, apparently Francis, uh, in one way or another, uh, apparently endorsed uh, some kind of civil unions for uh, same-sex couples, and we've had a lot of people asking about this and your your thoughts on this and your reaction to this, Father. So I'll just read uh, the quote here from Francis that uh, was apparently shown in some uh, new documentary that they have made of Francis, and his quote is this, Homosexual people have a right to be in a family. They are children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable over it. What we have to create is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. So, Father, what's your reaction to Francis saying that we need a civil union law for homosexual couples? Well, Tom, actually, there are a number of things that come to mind, okay? The first is uh, concerning the reaction. Concerns the reaction of the people throughout the world to this, right? The reaction of the press. And the people who are hearing the press report this. I was, uh, I was amazed that they were amazed. I was, in a sense, shocked that they were shocked because of all of the things Francis has been saying and doing all of these years now, over seven years, he has been promoting the, um, well, even if one say he's not promoting the LGBTQ, etc., in in principle, he's promoting them within the ranks of the New York Church. He's continually promoting people to positions of power who are what they like to call gay-friendly, but they're not really... Um, it's, it's more than that. They, they actually support not only homosexuals, but they support homosexuality. <clears throat> and Const- uh, Francis has basically made a career in the Vatican of promoting such people into power, into higher and higher levels of power in his, in his hierarchy, uh, surrounding himself with such people. Right. Um, awarding them medals when they're laymen, you know, uh, recognizing them for their contributions to society and so on. And um, he has also uh, promoted this culture within the Novus Ordo of going easy on them when they do some, when they get in trouble, when it's suddenly exposed what they've done. <clears throat> He's packed the uh, the congregations who had to judge these things with people who are very, very, shall we say. Uh, open and uh, lenient toward this behavior. So, in every aspect of this problem, he has he has had a finger uh, promoting, pushing uh, homo- the homosexual, basic, homo- basically the homosexual advance within the Novus Ordo. Uh, and people who hear this now. Uh, React as though this is something, something new, something unheard of, something outrageously novel, but it is simply a part of Francis's modus operandi. It's part of his overall program. It always has been from the very beginning. So why would someone react strongly to this all of a sudden? I, I don't know. Um, except to say either they weren't paying attention before, or perhaps before it wasn't real to them. And all of a sudden now, uh, on the heels of maybe the encyclical uh, right, Fratelli Tutti, uh, 
um, maybe now people were paying attention, you know. So this because this came right on the heels of that third encyclical of Francis, uh, all brothers and sisters, right? I guess that's what they call it in English. And uh, so then all of a sudden the press began to promote this, and maybe maybe that's uh, maybe that explains a little bit of the reaction. The press really pounced on this. They really took a hold of this. This this supposedly uh, is is uh, revealed in a documentary about Francis. Okay, uh, going this going to be aired in some kind of uh, film festival, film show, or whatever. And uh, I think it's just called Francesco. And because the press now has um, made an issue of this and shown the spotlight on it <clears throat> and talked it up. Um, may maybe that is why people are taking it seriously, because if it's in the press, if it's on the screen in front of them, in the news reports, if it's online in their, you know, wherever they get their news these days, and, uh, then it's real, right? <clears throat> uh, the question, I guess, then would be, well, why did the press suddenly decide to focus on this and make, make a, a big deal out of this, that Francis supposedly had said this? Uh, I think, well, that's another question, though, Tom. Uh, you know, here we are before an election. And, um, you know, there was a talk for, for years about the Russians colluding in, in our election here to get President Trump elected. But you never hear about the collusion of the Vatican and Francis and his involvement and his influence and attempts to influence the Novus Ordo Catholic people here in America and the way they vote before the elections. But uh, that Russian collusion thing was truly a hoax, a hoax invented by Hillary Clinton, right? From beginning to end, with all of her co-conspirators there. But one thing that is not a hoax is in fact the Vatican collusion, Vatican collusion in trying to influence the electorate of America and that is why Joe Biden is going around, uh, you know, waving the flag as though he's some great Catholic right now, because he, he wants the people to think that he is because he wants that vote. And on the other end, across the ocean, you have Francis, who is actually drumming up support for him. The bishops of the USCCB are drumming up support for Biden here, perhaps even organizing, uh, you know, directing funds to his toward his promotion as the great Catholic candidate. So uh, it could be that the press decided to push this precisely in order to to puff uh, Biden and the Democratic position. No. Uh, you know, some time ago, just uh, in fact, um, was it I think back in 2017 even, uh, the Remnant newspaper published a, uh, a letter uh it was directed, actually, I have a copy of it here because I, I it, it came back to mind, although it had been, it had been brushed aside for so long. It was written, written to President Trump, alleging the alliance between the Vatican and the Democratic Party and uh, asking uh, Trump to investigate that alliance between the Novus Ordo Catholics being marshaled by the Vatican in their, in their voting um, I don't know what became of it, but there were a number of prominent conservative Novus Ordo Catholics who sent this letter to President Trump saying, this really needs to be investigated. Um, now, what became of it, I don't know. What I, what I do know is it, it came to nothing in terms of, you know, it was forgotten. Because, of course, people forget one, one issue gets plowed under by another. And uh, those who want issues forgotten, know how to create other right, media sensations to make the other go away. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, this is a real issue here. So it could be that the press uh, blew this issue up because they wanted to make the point, Francis favors this, and this is more like the Democratic Party uh, position, uh, trying to send the message to the Novus Ordo Catholics of America that Biden is your man. I don't know why else they'd make a big issue of it. But the very fact that they made a big issue of it now has brought to the attention of a lot of people who are reacting very strongly against it. And uh, that's one point, believe it or not. <laughs> the other point is that there were a chorus of vo voices also that arose to quell the 
the shock to to tell people, look, don't don't get all upset about this. This is fake news. They didn't necessarily use that expression, but they said that uh, Francis didn't actually say that, and that's not actually what he meant. And this is being represented, misrepresented. <clears throat> the idea is that, of course, he's not speaking in English in the uh, documentary. It was the documentary was actually pieced together from other things that Francis had said. It said on camera and so on. And so there was a film clip that had Francis saying something to the effect that what you translated there. But that is a translation. And there are those who are saying the translation is not accurate from the original language. And, you know, the, the point thing is here, though, that for all the voices that were raised uh, denouncing Francis and expressing their horror at what he'd said, there was at least one or maybe ten other voices raised to explain why this is not true. Francis did not say that. And to make it go away, you know. And for every one who raised his voice, it's like there was a different explanation. Like there are dozens of different explanations of why this is not true. So uh, what, what, am, what can anyone really say about it? I mean, the Cardinal, I think Cardinal uh, Burke, if I'm not mistaken, spoke against it, and uh, uh, others, uh, uh, Bishop Schneider, Schneider and so on. I think Bishop Schneider was even saying, we need to pray for the conversion of Francis, if I, if I recall correctly, they said. But in any case, um, there's truly a divide there. There's no doubt about it. I, I just would suggest, though, that they, people realize that Francis has been pushing in this direction ever since March of, of the year 2013. This has been part of his overall program to promote the uh, LGBT acceptance uh, in, the, in the Novus Ordo and among Novus Ordo Catholics. Mm -hmm. And um, so if they're, if they're horrified at what he has supposedly sent here, they should be a hundred times more horrified at seeing what he's done over the last seven years. That should really horrify them and make them realize this is not Catholic. Mm -hmm. And Father, one, one point in, uh, in relation to your, your uh, talk about the you know, alliance between the, the Vatican and the Democratic Party, um, one fact that I think gives credence to that is that, um, you know, apparently this footage uh, of Francis saying this, this about the civil unions, apparently that is, that is, um, at least a year or more old. Yeah. Um, so they've had this footage for, for all of this time. This, this is, you know, nothing new, mm -hmm. nothing that he, that he recently said they've had it for all this time. And so, I mean, it certainly seems like, you know, they were kind of, um, waiting for an opportunity like this. And, and now all of this, this hysteria is being drummed up. Mm -hmm. um, over this, you know, because it seems like an opportune time to do that. And yet, Tom, who's, who's denouncing the collusion between the Vatican and, 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 and the, the Biden campaign? No. Who's denouncing that? Right? Uh, but I think, uh, I think it's real. I think it's very palpable, undeniable. And I think it, it's, it's something that is really, well, wrong. Sure. <laughs> Just downright wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> now, someone might say, well, what would you want Francis to do? Would you want Francis to promote Trump? <clears throat> uh, not necessarily, you know. I would just want Francis... Well, I would want a Catholic Pope to speak as a Catholic and to speak Catholic teaching, Catholic morality, Catholic doctrine, right? For example, if somebody were to ask me, well, should we vote for President Trump? Because he uses very bad language and he's not been a very good example. Uh... And, uh, you know, they, they could talk about any number of things where they, they disagree with him in policy and personality and so on. And, and I would say, well, I understand that. No one is suggesting uh, that we try to canonize, we introduce the cause of canonization for Donald Trump. <laughs> and uh, uh, that would not have flown, that would certainly not fly in the Vatican now, but it wouldn't have flown during the reign of Pope Pius X either, you know. <laughs> Uh, Donald Trump does not actually meet the criterion, as far as anyone can see, I, I think, for a sainthood. Although we want him to save his soul, certainly. Um, but here, here's the thing, Tom. You know, despite all of the faults and flaws and so on, um, I, I would recommend that people who are hesitating about that should look at it this way, okay? I'm just suggesting this, okay? That... Uh, 
the Vatican II um, took place in the early 60s, right? And there was a radical change. The hierarchy of the church became very modernist, very liberal. It was already highly inflect, infected with, with modernism. <clears throat> After Vatican II, that just became truly a pandemic of modernism <clears throat> in the hierarchy. So that in 1973, the church was in America was powerless to resist the drive to strike down the abortion laws with the Supreme Court decision Roe versus Wade, in which the justices of the Supreme Court were talking like they were moral theologians. They were talking as though they were sort of moral philosophers, and they were philosophizing about child or the the the, the embryo and you know its humanity. They're making a decision about whether it's human or not. They decided it was potentially human, whatever that means. You know. Ask the philosophers what that means. That's not jurisprudence, right? That's just pure existentialist philosophy. <laughs> but, but anyway, on the basis of that notion, okay, they struck down the anti-abortion laws throughout the country. <clears throat> the reason why I'm saying this is that if you go back 18 years, okay? Go back 18 years, we're looking at the year 2002, okay? Between 1973 and 2002, you have almost 30 years. 30 years worth of abortion in America. During which, in the course of those years, you might have had an average of a million babies aborted. I, I'm just talking at the top of my head here, obviously, but, you know, we're talking about perhaps as many as 30 million babies legally executed, murdered in this country. If these children were alive today, those born in 1973 and those who had, uh, you know, were, would have been born in 2002, if they, if they lived, a substantial number of those 30 million people would still be alive today and would be voting in this election. And I think if anybody's still doubting whether they should vote for Donald Trump, I think they should ask themselves, how would those children how would those babies, if they had been able allowed to grow up and have a life, how would they vote right now in this election? How would they vote? And I think we know how they would vote. They wouldn't vote for their abortions. <clears throat> so we're talking about um, upwards to 30 million votes there. And I think those who doubt and those who question whether they should <clears throat> uh, vote for Biden, vote for Trump, or vote for neither, that those who in any case would refuse a vote to Donald Trump on this, I think they'd have to <clears throat> say, well, at least I will do this. I mean, I will vote for one of those children who was murdered by abortion, who cannot vote in this election. I will vote for them, and I will cast my vote for them. Father, what do you think of this uh, Father James Altman, I believe his name was, who... Uh, yeah who posted a, a video that I guess kind of went viral where he said that uh, Catholics cannot vote for Democrats. You, can, you cannot be a, a Catholic and vote for a Democrat at the same time. Um, how would you how would you respond to him to him saying that? And one of our, our viewers wrote in, and, you know, I, apparently in the same video, um, this Father Altman, uh, our video described it as, as him kind of having a, a messiah complex uh, towards towards Donald Trump and, you know, saying all of these, these wonderful things about about President Trump and uh, his his wife Melania, the First Lady, and how she is a, a Catholic and has this wonderful influence on him. Hmm. Um, so, how, how would you respond to this, Father? Do you, do you agree with uh, this, Father Altman, that you cannot be a Catholic and vote for a Democrat? Do you agree with that? Uh, well, yes, I do agree with that. I agree that one cannot be a Catholic in good conscience and vote for a Democrat because I think it would be a mortal sin. Uh, and a very grave, you know, I mean, mortal sin is grave sin anyway. But I think it would be endorsing one of the most horrendous evils in existence, and that is the abortion industry, so-called, uh, the abortion juggernaut, right? It's the politics that enables everything else to happen, okay? It's the politics of it, the politicians who give the green light, who put the scalpels in, in the, in the abor abortionist's hands, Right? They're the ones who turn all this, this machinery of abortion on right now. So they bear the machinery. They, they might not have the actual blood of the children on their hands, but they've got it in there. They've got it in their mouths. 
I mean, you know, I, I heard I heard Schumer, uh, Chuck Schumer, talking last night <clears throat> before the uh, vote to confirm uh, Amy Coney Barrett as a chief court justice, and uh, uh, before she was obviously uh, sworn in by Chief Justice, by, by Justice Thomas, I should say. I heard the Schumer when he's threatening, when he's threatening. And this is what the leftists do. They threaten, okay? The demagogues threaten. You will regret this. You will regret this. You know, they're going to make us regret this, okay? Well, <clears throat> you know, all I saw was blood coming out of his mouth. You know, there was blood just coming out of his mouth there. The blood of all these babies. When he's talking about women's right to choose and blah, blah, blah. All of these things, all of these things, as though he's full of compassion for these women. So he's going to help them murder their children and, um, <clears throat> by standing up for their right to do, th- do so. Um, this is horrendous. If people could just see this for the moral evil it is. We talk about the barbarisms of the past, and there's nothing that can compare with this, the barbarism of this modern age of so-called modern man, okay, typified by Schumer and the rest of his crowd, Biden too. So um, we have the, this, this horrendous evil here. I agree with Father Altman in saying that one cannot, a Catholic cannot in good conscience vote for this in any way, support this in any way. I agree with that. But I also think uh, Father Altman is a Novus Ordo priest, okay, He's a Novus Ordo clergyman. He was educated in the Novus Ordo. He was ordained in the Novus Ordo. He's been serving in the Novus Ordo. And it's surprising that he's, at this point, even capable of standing up and taking a strong stand like that. Notice what his bishop, I guess Wisconsin, has done and come try to silence him in every way he could, try to silence Father Alden. But we have to remember that even... I mean, look Look at the reaction here. That, again, is something rather surprising. So, in the Novus Ordo, they have one priest who stands up and makes a statement like this, and all of a sudden, it's a sensation. They actually have a priest who stands up and says that. Every single Catholic priest in the world should be saying this, right? Thundering this. They have one priest who stands up, and this is an anomaly. It's not only an anomaly, but some would say... Like, hallelujah, you know, look, there, there's a vestige of Catholicism left in the clergy. And others are filled with outrage. How dare he say such a thing, you know. Not only the hierarchy. <laughs> so, but, but the Novus Ordo hierarchy, even when they stand up, the Novus Ordo clergy in general, when, even when they stand up for something that you would think a Catholic would stand up for, you, you see, it's, not quite on target, you see. Even with Father Altman saying about, you know, the, uh, you know, being Catholic, well, there are some things that are not very Catholic about, you know, Melania, right? Uh, I'd like to think, I want her to save her soul again, and maybe she does praise the ro- pray the rosary as she is to do so, but that doesn't mean there are a lot, every aspect of, of her life, you know, corresponds to a Catholic teaching, teeth, Catholic teaching, but Nonetheless, you know, I mean, there are some very good qualities there. But you can't simply talk about, promote her as a model of Catholicism. Uh, it's, it's not really accurate to do that. It's not even just to, to do that. But I think in the Novus Ordo, they've had to turn kind of a, a blind eye to so many evil things for so long now <clears throat> that they, they're in the mood or in the mode to overlook so much that isn't right. Um, that they really do have rose-colored glasses. Um, in fact, maybe even blinders. Uh, I don't have blinders on. Like Father Father Altman, well, even even uh, Archbishop Vigano, with the strongest statements he's, he's made and he's acknowledged that he was in the service of the, you know, what came out of Vatican II for 60 years of his life and he regrets it and repents of it now. But when will he re- when will he reject the Novus Ordo religion that came out of Vatican II? You know that would be the logical next step. Well, 
a new religion, a different religion, a foreign religion, an anti-Catholic religion came out of Vatican II. Now I recognize Vatican II as an evil. It has to be buried and bury the Novus Ordo with it. They, everyone get back to where they belong. They have the Catholic faith. They should be practicing it in the traditional mass, traditional sacraments, and reject this modernist, monstrous construct, this Frankenstein monster that came out of the laboratory of Vatican II. Right? And uh, Annibale Bonini and, and all of that crowd. But, uh, again, I mean, it, there, it's a work in progress. I, I trust Father Altman is a work in progress, too. And that he will find his way. He's cooperating with grace. I believe God is giving him a grace to see something. A grace of courage now to, to speak about it. And I'm praying that God continue giving him the graces to, to bring him the rest of the way. And follow the logic of the faith back to the traditional. Following the traditional Catholic faith. And completely uh, severing ties with, with, the Novus, with the new order and but the new order in general, and the political order, no, no order, but the, the, the religious new order too, which is Vatican II, and the Nova Soro religion. Yeah. So anyway, I, I would just recommend that we pray for him as we pray for Archbishop Vigano too. Yeah. And uh, that's, I think, why the graces have been provided in the first place, because of prayer. We have to continue the prayer to bring them to fruition. All right. Well, Father, I wanted to read an email from one of our viewers because it kind of has some uh, some related questions here to this topic. Um, there's several questions in here, but she asked, Father, if you can explain uh, Americanism versus monarchism. She says, from my understanding, the church teaches that any form of government that serves the common good is acceptable. Uh, additionally, it seems every election we are presented with the, quote, there are only two options to choose from scenario. Is this true or is an, an, is that an illusion to make us think we can only vote for one or the other? Can you still fulfill your duty to vote if you write in a name instead? Well, there are at least three distinct questions there that are only vaguely related to each other. So I might ask you to repeat them. Sure. But one of them, they start with Americanism and modern and and uh, monarchism. monarchism. Okay. Well, I, I gather by a monarchism that the writer is talking about um, the monarchic form of government, where you have a single, a single uh, king, shall we say, a king or an emperor, right? Uh, you have a a, a soul, one sole person in whom is invested the powers of government. Powers of government, we distinguish as the power of making the law, that's legislation, right? Uh, which is literally laying down the law. Uh, the power of uh, judgment, right? Jurisdiction, in a sense, that is speaking of the, of the rights, speaking of the, of the uh, judgment, concerning whether or not someone followed the law or broke the law. And then the executive power, which punishes or rewards, right? Notably punishes the lawbreakers. And in a monarchy, one person has all three powers. He has the power to do all three of these things. To make the laws, judge compliance or non-compliance with the law, and then exact, you know, retribution for breaking the law or reward for keeping the law. Now, the church has, throughout centuries, gotten on well with monarchies. I mean, we have kingdoms and we've had emperors and so on. And uh, the church has not in any way condemned this. The church has said there are many positive things, very good things about a monarchy, and they can act decisively. And um, it, it also, insofar as it centralizes the powers of government, it can make for a very efficient use of, of government power. But they also recognize the, f the fact that if you have a, a good monarchy, a good monarch, if the person who is the monarch is a good person, who is prudent, uh, who is pious, who recognizes his responsibility to God and to the people, to the souls whom he governs, <clears throat> in all humility, um, he can be a very good monarch, and he can do th make decisions that are very just and right and merciful toward the people. He can do what a government is supposed to do. 
provide for the rights of the people to secure their rights and to guard them and protect them, promote them, okay? They're God-given rights. But if you have a monarch who is a megalomaniac and a narcissist, if you have a monarch who is a bad person, who doesn't follow the gospel, um, but is, is very self-willed about everything, he can be a, a nightmare. Then he becomes a tyrant. He becomes a dictator, okay? Now, you know, you have the principle of corruptio ultimi pessima at work here. One might say, and there are those who would argue that in, in the minds of the church, the monarchy is the best form of government because it resembles most the government of God. But in the, with the principle of corruptio optima, corruptio optimi pessima, that where if you take the monarchy as the best form of government in the abstract, if it's corrupted with an evil monarch, it becomes the worst form of government at all. The worst possible form of government. So this is the contrast you have here. You know, if you have a saint who is the king, truly a saint, he can be an excellent monarch. If, even there, though, he has to have administrative skills. I mean, he may per be personally virtuous and have no power of administer, no skills for administration. That can become kind of an, uh, a nightmare too. <clears throat> and uh, but if you have someone who is uh, a saint in his character and by grace, the grace of God, and he has the necessary uh, skills and talents to administer, uh, that can be the most perfect form of government to yield the most perfect arrangement in society. Again, if you get a monster in there, if you get someone who's corrupt in there, you get a, a Stalin or a Mao or a Hitler in there, you've, you've got a you've literally kind of hell on earth, you know. They can do, they can create that, uh, that havoc. So, I mean, the, the other forms of government are, you have, um, well, look at all the different kinds of governments that Trish has worked with. She's worked with Genoa and Venice, right? You have republics, right? Uh, you have representative governments. Uh, you have, the church has worked with Switzerland and the cantons of Switzerland for centuries. Um, and um, the church does not actually condemn any form of government. She doesn't condemn any form of government as long as, uh, she, she says the, uh, the, the form of government, whether it be a republic, a representative republic, or a, uh, an aristocracy, or a monarchy, uh, can be good if it has good saintly people uh, making you know, the decisions in, in, in authority. And if you get bad people in, in control, then all three of these will degenerate into their sort of evil twins. The monarchy will degenerate into a tyranny or a, a dictatorship, right? The aristocracy will degenerate if it is run by a cabal of evil men into an oligarchy. And the republic will degenerate into a democracy where majority rules. And all three of those, those evil things, are considered to be um, to be considered to be um, dictatorships and forms of tyranny, actually. Forms of tyranny. Um, you know, we talk about democracy these days as though it was some sort of, you know, great city that descended from heaven like the heavenly Jerusalem, democracy. But actually, back in the 1920s, just 100 years ago, democracy was roundly condemned here in America. <clears throat> Uh, it was looked upon as mobocracy, rule by the mob, uh, rule by uh, the strict majority, majority vote rules, no matter how unjust it may be, okay, it rules, absolutely. That's why the Democrats now are so anxious to get rid of the Electoral College, <clears throat> because the very existence of the Electoral College, Electoral College, shows that we are not a democracy. Our representative form of government means that we have been given a republic, not a democracy. 
To what extent do we have a democracy here, though? Well, right now? Yeah. Well, it's degenerating into that where, well, I, I think a, an example of that would be Hillary Clinton uh, objecting and fussing uh, no end about the fact that, well, she says it's a fact, we don't know if we can trust the numbers, but that President Trump did not win the majority vote, the popular vote. Uh, he won the electoral vote by quite a margin, but she says, we're told by the, by the poll counters, <laughs> that uh, the bean counters are, that uh, she won the popular vote by, you know, a few million, right? Uh, there are all kinds of questions about the integrity of the vote, obviously. <clears throat> but she wanted to turn it into a, into a strict democracy so that the majority rules. And uh, there are no safeguards against the tyranny of the majority. Um, but our country wasn't set up that way. The, the, because of that, the 2016 election, which Hillary claims would have been her own, recently, recently Hillary came out and said she was born to be the president of the United States of America. <laughs> oh, she was the anointed one then. Anointed by whom, I would like to know. But anyway, <coughs> the fact is um, they're trying to turn it into a strict uh, mob rule. And you see that in the streets even now. You see that in the halls of of uh, Congress and so on, where they're trying to, uh, you know, they're threatening if you if you do this, even though what you're doing is perfectly legal, if you do it, you'll pay. We'll make you pay for this. They're trying to turn it into an intimidate intimidation by the mob, and this is a, a hallmark of, of democracy. Uh, I think it was the Armed Services Manual of 1920-21 that even defined democracy as rule by the mob, put out by the United States government, actually that uh, manual. So, um, but our, our children have been brainwashed or they're in the process of being brainwashed from kindergarten, preschool, all the way through the, their graduate degrees <laughs> right, by leftists. Um, so, in any case, uh, it's not surprising to see that they're misled by this. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have to realize that the church says, as, as this writer says, I think that she says, gets at anyway, that when you have good people who are honest, people who are virtuous people who are, who are in authority, then, uh, you can have good government. If you don't have virtuous people in authority, you have a nightmare. The trouble with a corrupt, well, what does Alexis de Tocqueville say, you know, the Frenchman who visited the States back in the 1800s and spoke so highly of it? He said, America is great because America is good. When America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And uh, although I don't know de Tocqueville's allegiance religiously, if he had any at all, actually, I would say at least he understood the need for morality and the need for virtue. And I think he understood that if you have a virtuous population, they can choose virtuous members and elect them to positions of power and authority as their leaders. <clears throat> and as long as the population is virtuous, they will elect virtuous people. But when the population begins to lose that hold on virtue and they become corrupt, they begin the process of electing more and more corrupt people more corrupt people in terms of their numbers and more corrupt people in terms of their degradation, how bad they are, right? They elect more, more corrupt people. <laughs> and, uh, and so the process begins of the total degradation of the society. Uh, because, I mean, corrupt people generally kind of admire the corruption of others. Uh, I mean, Stalin was surrounded by a circle of men who admired him for his corruption. They, they, they almost envied him that he was so evil and uh, admired him for it. Say. Um, I'm talking about, you know, Molotov and the rest of them, you know, uh, Beria and so on. They admired this man for these evil things. I was, I'm sure Mao the same way. I mean, he surrounded himself with people like himself, you know. But he understood people like himself and he could control people like himself because he was the worst of the lot. 
And so it is, it, it gets into a society, uh, that chooses its, 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 its leaders. <clears throat> if the society itself is made up of people who are given over to corruption, every matter of corruption. And this is what they begin to admire. They begin to elect people like that. And the worst among them. And the worst among them then actually be, get into power. Um, I'm afraid it's happening to our own nation here. We have to, uh, have to put that in check, but it has to be by the grace of God, um, returning our people to the virtues of faith and hope and charity. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a great, it's a, it's a very difficult work. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of prayer, a lot of sacrifice. Father, what about this other question that she asked, though, where she says, you know, it seems every um, election we're presented with a scenario where there's only these two options to choose from. And so often, like you say, it's kind of the the corrupt and the more corrupt. So is this a real choice that we have to choose from? Is this real? We can only choose one or the other, the corrupt or the more corrupt? Well, you'd like to think that, uh, you know, a person is not absolutely corrupt. <laughs> In other words, there are vices, but you'd you think, well, there are some, yes, I mean, in all, all the candidates we're going to ever have to vote for, they're going to be vices. There's no doubt about it. I mean, everybody was born with original sin, except our Blessed Mother, right? So that means every single one of us was born with original sin. So no matter what candidate there is who's chosen uh, uh, to put before the public for, for their votes, he's going to have vices. There's no doubt about it. But you know, maybe the thing to do is to say, well, okay, I will not only look at the vices, but I'll see if there are some virtues there too. And if we say, okay, not just look at the vices, but look at the virtues. Does this candidate stand up for the lives of the unborn? I mean, that's a virtue, right? Does this candidate have a sense of justice? Does this candidate even have a sense of humility and subjection to God so that he will actually say so? And mean it, right? Not just say it for the sake of votes, uh, for theater's sake, but he'll actually mean it and, 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 and actually implement policies that, that are, are consonant with what he's saying. Is he enunciating any principles I agree with? <clears throat> so yes, we can just focus uniquely, uh, on, uh, on the vices of the candidates and say, well, I can't vote for those vices. Well, I, I would dare say you're not voting for their vices. You're looking for the virtues that matter the most, right? You might be hard pressed to find, you know, stellar virtues <laughs> in, in many of the candidates. But you will find, I think if you looked across the board at, at the candidates who were offered you, in some of them, you'd find nothing to commend itself. Nothing to commend itself, right? Uh, every step of the way, in every aspect, you'd find nothing that you could possibly vote for. But in some candidates, I think you can. I, personally, I think in President Trump, there are things one can vote for. And that by that I mean certain virtues that are there. They may be purely natural virtues. I don't know. You know. Um, but the, his willingness to stand up for the unborn and to brave the wrath, the absolute venomous, hellish wrath of people like Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> because he will stand up for the unborn. And uh, N- Nancy Coney, or, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, I don't know enough about her really to know what to expect from her, but I see the Democrats are afraid of her because they fear that she, well, might even vote to overturn Roe versus Ray Wade. And if she has in the past, and hopefully will in the future, again, stand up for the lives of the unborn children, I consider that a virtue, and I consider that something to vote for. Maybe in spite of any many other shortcomings, you know, that in her case, I'm not really aware, I must admit. But uh, I don't look at this as just as like looking for all the bad and all the people and saying, well, can I vote for that? Because the answer is no, you couldn't vote for that. It's not really a vote. You know, some people couch it as a matter of voting for the lesser of two evils. You don't vote for the evil. <clears throat> what you look for is the, the, the virtue, whatever virtue is there. 
you expect the evil to be there in every one of us, the weaknesses, the shortcomings, and so on, right? But you're looking for some virtues to vote for. And I think if you do look for those virtues, I think you're seeing there are some virtues in Donald Trump that I would find something I could vote for and that I actually should vote for. Well, Father, uh, real quick before we end, could you uh, give us any kind of uh, spiritual encouragement on a positive note that we could end on? Well, I'd like to think so. <laughs> so uh, well, we have an election coming up, as you know, a very important election. In fact, I think this is not only an important election. I do believe that this is the turning point. This is a turning point for our nation right now because of the contrast between uh, uh, between the parties and their candidates. I think there's such a contrast, such a fundamental opposition, I mean, what they, the, the two of them stand for. Um, I'm talking about even the party platforms, you know, even just voting the platforms. Uh, but I, I do believe this is a turning point, and I think if the American people vote the wrong way, in the eyes consider my Catholic faith tells me it's the wrong way, I think this is going to be the ultimate outset, outset to God, uh, insult to God. And basically, our nation will have declared itself at, 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 at odds with God and uh, at war with God. Okay? And um, I think if our nation rises to the occasion and votes, as my Catholic faith tells me, for what is right, obviously not, every, not everyone's voting that way, but a, a sufficient number to carry the election, then I believe that God will have have mercy on us. You know, the ten just men. Uh, well, perhaps we need more than ten just men. Perhaps every one ten just one of the ten just men we would have found saving Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe we need a thousand. If we needed a hundred thousand just men <clears throat> and women in our country today to move God's grace and mercy to us. <clears throat> in spite of all the evils that we render to him, okay? But whatever it is, uh, I do want people to uh, vote for virtue where they find it. Whatever they can find. Uh, and uh, talking about the virtues of faith and hope and justice, I'm talking about the virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, you know? Look for those, you know, if you find them anywhere. Then that's worthy of a vote, I believe. Um, so, uh, Todd, I would just say that th although I find many people these days are very, very nervous, very worried, very concerned, anxious, yes, even terrified about what's in the offing here, they see our country is standing at the edge of an abyss and ready to just take a plunge into the abyss with the idea that there's no recovery, there's no way out of the abyss after that. But um, there are a lot of people who are praying sincerely, humbly, urgently to Almighty God. There are many people who are asking our Blessed Mother, even under the title of the Immaculate Conception, who is our, our heavenly patroness, really, to help us. There are many moved by Our Lady's words and her, of her parents in Fatima, to pray the rosary. And I, I see this now more and more happening all over the country, even all over the world. People are reaching for the rosary. I find that a good, very good thing. I find that is extremely encouraging. So although there are things that are alarming, there are also, there are also signs that are very encouraging too. I see more and more people practically every day returning to practice of the traditional Catholic faith with the traditional Latin mass the traditional Roman Rite of Mass, and rejecting the new order. <clears throat> um, and that is, that is extremely encouraging, too. Even the, the voice of a Father Altman rising out of this abyss of the Novus Ordo, you know, I find that encouraging because I see it as a work of divine grace. And I see that as a work in progress. Obviously, you know, it's, it, it, but it's a beginning. You know, and whenever we see God give a grace and somebody cooperate with that grace, it's wonderful. Remember in the gospel when the pagan centurion made an act of faith in our Lord, and our Lord marveled at that? Our Lord marveled at the man 
this pagan man was cooperating with grace and held him up as an example. I've not found such great faith in Israel. That's a kind of a way of our Lord telling his own apostles, you know, that this pagan man has greater faith than you do. Or when our Lord was encountered by the Canaanite woman who wanted her daughter's life saved, right? And our Lord said to her, it is not right to take the bread from the children and cast it to the dogs. And in all humility, she said, yea, Lord, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall under the master's table. So, you know, in all humility, she responded, and our Lord marveled again at the faith of this woman. And certainly in the world today, when you see God giving a grace and someone cooperating with it, it's worth marveling at. Well, we see examples of that today. And that is very encouraging to me. I see people, even now, you know, hearing what is being said about Francis and making this remark about civil unions for homosexuals and uh, reacting, reacting to it now. Whereas it's gone on for years and there was very little reaction. All of a sudden now, there's this great reaction. This is not Catholic. So I keep praying for that. I pray for uh, President Trump and, uh, and Vice President Pence, and but I even pray for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Francis, too. I want them to be converted and save their souls, too. Uh, so, miracles happen. They still happen. We have to have confidence. Our confidence is in God, not in our own righteousness, but in God's mercy. We have to keep appealing to God's mercy for our country. That's not... That, that is happening now in a very special way, but it's something we're going to have to do as long as we live. There will be, never be a time when our country doesn't need God's mercy. And so we realize we have to step up now and implore heaven for mercy, or to pray the rosary, receive our Lord worthily in the true Holy Communion, in the traditional Mass, and trust, trust in divine providence. Absolutely. Father, thanks for being here tonight. Oh, certainly, Tom. Thank you. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate <clears throat> yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you. <laughs>